What you're about to hear is the middle of a conversation Ashley, Christina and I were having about Caribbean literature, language and just representation and whether or not we are selfish Caribbean readers for some of the things that we expect from writers and from the publishing industry. I think the knee-jerk reaction to that is that no, we aren't. What we're demanding is very realistic and practical and for the most part, yeah. But we do talk a bit about our biases and preferences when it comes to reading. And in it, I hope you find some really good books that you enjoy or you're hearing us talk about books that you've already read and liked or hated. So enjoy. everyone welcome to like a real book club a podcast from rebel woman lit where we talk about books and just about everything else i'm jerrine i'm christina and i'm ashley i haven't read it it's on you haven't no i have it but i oh I haven't read it. Oh, what book is that? Oh, I have it too. I haven't read it either. It's the only Kaimila book I haven't read. Oh, I think it's the first Kaimila that I've ever read. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're so late to the world of Kai. I am. I really am. Wow. I don't think I knew no, about jealous. him until a couple of years ago. Jesus. Mm-hmm. I'm jealous of people who just get to discover Camilo. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. Um the next I have um I have worn a woman from him mm-hmm. and another one. Uh, I'll hopefully get to them in a while. I've literally just been reading poetry mm-hmm. over the last couple of weeks and the other night I pulled out the cartographer tries to map away to Zion. Mm-hmm. that poetry collection of his and I was going to go on Goodreads because I haven't been using my Goodreads much I was going to go on Goodreads and mark it as reread and then I saw just the ratings I have for Kai Milo mm-hmm. all of them just five star five star five star five star <laughs> and I'm like Jesus Christ you're obsessed during the only thing that hasn't been rated five star is Augustone because I haven't read it yet mm. I, I mean Augustine. what if that's like a two star read for me <laughs> I really hope not, but I, I personally enjoyed it. Um, I fuck. What was it about again? I'm not going to spoil it for you, but um, I know that he used some well-known folklore. Yeah, Alexander Bedwood. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I always, I don't know why, but for some reason I mix that up with um, Marlon James's John Crow's Devil. I don't know why. I think it's because of the, the description of the pasta in John Crow's Devil. Oh, I actually haven't read that book. You don't need to read it. <laughs> wow. what, what, what do you think you don't. is like what Marlon James book do you think people should actually read if you had to choose? I've only read, I've only read one and a half. No, the Book of Night Woman for me. I think it's his best book. Okay, John Curse Devil is the only book that I've read completely from him. Um, it's not a terrible book. Let me say that it's not a terrible book. Um, I guess looking back on it, my feelings about it has changed a bit. Um. I don't know. I feel un- I felt uncomfortable while reading it, and I- and it's not the good kind of uncomfortable. And That's I'm not exactly what I was gonna ask if it was a good. Yeah, no, it it wasn't. Um, I remember reading it when it just came out. It might be a me thing. I, I liked it, but I don't remember any of it now. So <laughs> I don't know if my feelings would change towards mm-hmm. it reading it now. Mm-hmm. Do you guys find that happens a lot? Um, changing feelings on books? No, reading a book and then not remembering what was in the book. 
Oh, holy potential. Yeah. So what do time. you think what what do you think that means? Do you think the book was impactful or you don't necessarily have to remember what the context no. of the book was if it's like if you feel if you remember a feeling whenever you pick it up or see it. I just for me I I think the feelings matter more than like if I remember it or don't remember it that's secondary because a lot of the books is a matter of what I feel when I read it and the lessons that I learn so like a really good book will always impact the way I view some things I may look at the world differently and not remember what made me start looking at the world this way and then I'll just look at the book cover and go yeah, I remember liking that book, but I don't remember exactly why. And I'll reread it, and sometimes I'll get a completely different lesson from it. But I don't think me not remembering all the details means it was bad or it wasn't impactful for me. Mm-hmm. And I generally just have terrible memory, so <laughs> sometimes I just really don't remember. But similarly, I can recall a book and recall the feeling that I had um, upon reading it and upon completing it and know that because of that feeling that I have that I enjoyed that book that it was good um, or that it was terrible or that it made me um, feel uncomfortable in a good or bad way or um, or that it affected me emotionally you know so I don't I don't think it's bad or horrible if you don't remember the content of the book especially since I'm not being graded on it (laughs) oh thank god (laughs) I saw this tweet today where someone said um well literature teachers ask you for your opinion and then mark you wrong for your opinion and (laughs) I thought that was funny. But then I was thinking to myself, it very likely means that you either didn't support your opinion or you never or your opinion just never made no sense in terms of analysis, which can happen. Yeah. Cause people don't put out effort into literature. Like a lot of people don't really put out any sort of push for the genre. Or well for the the discipline. I'm speaking of interpretations and opinions, um, the book that we're reading now, A Tall History of Sugar, I I didn't really know what I was getting into when I read it because a lot of the summaries that I saw, it was very vague um, about the actual story, but the word fairy tale kept on coming up and fairy tale tale kept on coming up I think it came up in Publishers Weekly and two or three other reviews of it and I kept on wondering huh and then the more I read it because I haven't finished it yet Mm -hmm. I'm still in my pseudo reading slump but the more I read it the more angry I get thinking that this book was described as a fairy tale and I really want to find out if this is what the author wanted it to be described as because I don't see it at all like oh no let me not say I don't see it at all I I do see why they would say fairy tale and a lot of it is a very Americanized or European I don't want to say othering but it's their way of understanding stories that aren't set in our naturalist world and it pisses me the fuck off because I've seen so many Caribbean books get labeled as magical realism which is a term I'm starting to hate but labeled as magical (laughs) realism or fantasy and and it, it makes me uncomfortable because whereas I understand what that genre represents I think so much of the way we as Caribbean people interact with the world, there is no boundary or there is a very thin boundary between our naturalist experiences and 
and the other world, whether it be supernatural or something, oh, my dream says something, something. So I'm making a decision based on that dream or that represents something, even though it's not based in this physical naturalist world. And then I see it get slapped on as fairy tale or magical realism. And it just doesn't feel right. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Um, Cause a lot of, um, a lot of our, I guess, indigenous ways of perceiving the world. It's not magic. Like that's, I wouldn't term it as magic. And I think a lot of people wouldn't term it as magic either. Yeah. It's just like spirit tech or, um, yeah, like that Ancestral, phrase. Yeah. And it's not even religious. It's, it's not, not religious. even like a religious type of spiritual either. Yeah. Which I feel like a lot of European or American people will start thinking if you say that. Mm-hmm. It was um, just such a frustrating thing for me reading this book. It's a mislabeling. Yeah, it's a mislabeling. And um, it's it disconnects the, the content or it disconnects... Um, so much of the story from the from what it's coming from um it sort of separates it so it's no longer a part of this indigenous understanding it's now this whole other thing because we don't use the word magic to describe any sort of supernatural or otherworldly um things or beliefs that we have we don't use the word magic that's not Mm. a that's not a word that we use so to use it to describe the works it's not a Caribbean word either. We use it for performances, like a magic show or yeah. like, a, like a fair or something. Kids yeah. performance. It's not, I don't know. It just made me very uncomfortable. And then I kept on reading reviews that compared it to other Jamaican books that just didn't fit for me. What were some of the comparisons? All comparisons to Here Comes the Sun or Nicole Dennis Ben's work overall. I can they compared it to Marlon James work mm-hmm. and I didn't see that. They compared it to Kai Miller, and I'm kind of willing to be lenient with that because some of the I guess we're calling it, I don't know, spiritual things. Like mm-hmm. that's elements Kai uses in his stories. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, are, is it that you just see other popular Jamaican writers and you decide to squish them together in your description <laughs> to make it catchy for audiences? Because I just didn't see a lot of the connections. And I was, it just reminded me of how monolithic people view the Caribbean. Jamaica view the Caribbean in terms of our stories. Because to me... Nicole, Kai, Marlon, Marcia Douglas, all these people write so differently. Very differently. And Cordella, I've only read her poetry before, but it's it's a very distinct style. Mm-hmm. It's a very distinct voice. And you just lump them together as, oh, if you like that Jamaican author, you like that Jamaican author. <laughs> it's like, no, that's not how it works. I think that's the, I think that's something to be interrogated. Um, how non-Caribbean publishers? I don't know if any of any Caribbean publishers are also guilty of doing that for the sake of marketing. But um, how non-Caribbean um, publishers and anybody in the literary world how they characterize um, stories coming out of the Caribbean? Whoever is publishing these books are part of the publishing of these books. Do they necessarily have to be from the Caribbean? If they're not, what type of research? Perhaps do they need to go into the marketing campaign of this book and like trying to categorize it or label it as distinctly Jamaican or Caribbean? But I think yeah, I think it might be a little bit of what um you said, Jerrine, about having little knowledge of uh, the types of writers that come out of this part of the world and so kind of like clumping them together because you know like how like in this contemporary time musically it's Rihanna that runs the Caribbean and so anybody who comes out of the Caribbean especially if it's a woman 
there's always going to be some sort of comparison to Rihanna because she is the, yeah, she's a benchmark. And it's unfortunate because there are also people who, I mean, you can't, it's very diverse, you know, we're not all the same. We do all fall under one label. I wish they'd at least put some effort into it, some effort into understanding more of the background of these um, authors and storytellers, because then that impacts how you try to sell them. But then who are they selling to? Are they actually having Caribbean people in mind when they're selling these books? Um, yeah. We could say no, considering how difficult it is for us to get books. Yeah. by Caribbean writers right I mean that, that just reminds me of uh, when Nicole anytime she speaks about her experience in publishing she she shares this story a lot um, I don't remember where her publisher is from or whatever but the publisher was like very concerned or maybe it was the editor was just extremely concerned about if the woman in Missouri would be able to understand the pathway that she's writing on her pages and she's like you know, I'll I'm I'm okay. I can forego the woman in Missouri or some rural U US state understanding mm-hmm. the Creole that is on the pages. Um, if that yeah. means compromising my authenticity as a writer and as a Jamaican writer, and I'm happy that she didn't do that because it was it's great to see Pato on the pages of books because it's again it's. A, legitimizes and reinforces that this is a language that it deserves to be in spaces just like English and just like other languages too so I mean it's not the audience is really important because at the end of the day like yes uh, this is her job and she needs to sell books but uh, I think but the story is learn. just that yeah or they exactly. can put out the effort exactly exactly I used to get really annoyed um, when I'm reading uh, books based in the Caribbean and sometimes the patois in the books, they don't necessarily, they don't usually reflect how we speak or how we write it. Um, I know there's usually a larger um, discussion and conversation about um, how patois is written, how Jamaican is written and spelt. Um, but a lot of the time, sometimes you'll be reading and it's mostly English words, words like an anglicized um, patois. And I used to get really annoyed because me said, who speaks like this? None of us speak like this or write like this. But uh, I don't know. I guess um, it's an editing decision that's made so that it's easily understood by um, non-Jamaican, non-Caribbean readers. But it's so weird because... Tell me if I'm reaching here, but I feel like even locally we do that too whenever we decide to present Pato um, on like a campaign. Like how they spell these things, it just, it just, it feels so, <laughs> like it feels like a caricature of what Pato actually is because nobody, like I, they, maybe it's just a personal thing, but I hate when like <laughs> you spell in you, and then people are like, um, I don't know, people have like a very funny way of spelling certain certain words in Pato that just ver- that annoy me. It annoys me. Yeah, sometimes I wonder if I should be annoyed by this. Because even the book thing, like, uh, keep asking myself, is this something worth being annoyed by? Um, is it, <laughs> am I being too, am I taking this too seriously? Yeah. I don't know. But then, yeah, I I agree. Some, I mean, and then, I guess you just get, it's so, What's bad is that when you see it enough, you just kind of get used to it. So although, I mean, I'm going to buy Alan Grill no matter what, but every time I see their marketing and I see just how they, you know, like push their products and push the spelling of certain things and push this old local like, yard style cuisine, I'm, I cringe a, a little. <laughs> a little. Yeah, I do. I do. I'm trying to figure out if my bed is hot or if I'm hot. 
Oh so God, I'm just thinking about like turn up scary. the flavor, and flavor is F L A A V A V. Like what? Why does it have to be that way? <laughs> Don't understand flavor. Just or F L A A V A H. We have a serious problem with H's in this country. This conversation actually reminds me a bit about the meetup we had with Olive Senior a few years ago. I think I have the video clip for it, so I'll just insert the audio here. If I'm not too lazy, <laughs> I'll insert the audio here where she talks about her use of language and how she spells a lot of Patwa words in her poetry and in her work so that non-Jamaicans can read it. People choose to spell it in different ways. The and some people don't want it to look English because they want to affirm a different language. I write what I call literary. Um, I use it in a literary sense in that if I'm writing Pato or Creole, whatever, if, if I can spell the word in English, I'm going to spell it in English because the Jamaican reader will know how to pronounce it. And if I spell it another way, the, the foreigner now going to know what it is. So I feel that I'm a communicator. I want to facilitate my readers. So what is important to me is not so much the spelling. It is capturing the cadence of the language, how it sounds, how it flows. To me, that's important. I don't have to prove anything by a particular form of spelling. So what did you guys think about Olive's thoughts on spelling and patois usage um i mean it makes sense in terms of wanting to be a facilitator for her widow um wanting to like when she says that she if she has the option to spell a patois word in english then she will because the person who speaks patois will understand and then the person who doesn't will also understand but I feel like sometimes the impact is a little lost. And a word that comes to mind is the word flavor. You know, like how, I mean, I guess like a regular person speaking English would pronounce the R and it's like a very hard R. And someone who's speaking Jamaican would just say flavor. And I, I don't know, that there's something about the stushness versus like casualness of that that kind of gets the impact for me kind of gets lost um but I can understand what she's saying I'm about trying to communication is is her like end game so I guess she found that middle ground for herself by not focusing too much about the visual and about the spelling of creole words I'm in two minds. I think the more the more I think about it, and I remember that this was a discussion that a Quakey had. I think it was when they published their first novel, Freshwater. Um, there was a larger conversation about um, non-English words and italicized um, non-English words and so I'm kind of in two minds where yes I understand what Olive means by facilitating all her readers because she understands that um, it's not just Caribbean natives who are reading her work but also non-Caribbean people and then I just think to myself that um as Caribbean people, we've always had to bend and shape our ways. Um, like it's always on us to facilitate others. Um, I don't know if there's much um, emphasis placed on non-Caribbean, non-Black people to put out the effort to try to understand. And so similarly I understand where she's coming from in terms of being a communicator but also it's like people can try to put out the effort sometimes to do some research on um, a Jamaican word that they don't know or um, some other Caribbean word that they don't know so yeah I'm in two minds Um, and I think sometimes some readers are lazy too especially the white ones. Can I say that? 
Wow, yeah. we reached this far in the podcast. And, <laughs> and I'm still asking. Right? Considering what we've discussed before. But yeah, in general, I think, I do think that white people especially don't want to put out the effort that's needed to um, actually understand these cultures that so many of them like to cosplay. I think that's a valid point. And I'm also thinking about all of the like Greek and Latin words that are included in books that we just have to figure out the meaning of and we do. And it's like knowing those type of um, phrases is almost like a plus, you know? So why why isn't knowing a one phrase in language in in sorry in Papua a plus to certain people? But then again, that might turn into somebody like Drake, that sprinkling mans and certain things like that into their everyday language. Ting, I like okay, Ting. yeah. So that is a fine line <laughs> between appreciation and appropriation. What were you saying, Um, I, I was talking about it a bit in the last newsletter with Atal History of Sugar in the first parts of the book where Rhea and I were having this discussion about how Jamaican novels, more so than poetry, but definitely in the novels, there's this almost an over-explanation of what we mean when we say or yes. what does this represent? And Rhea and I were having that conversation. I think at that point she was probably 15 or 20% in the book. And it felt it feels a bit redundant when you are Jamaican and you are reading this and they're explaining this. And it, it just feels like, well, yeah, of course, let's keep with the story. But what I do like with Atal History of Sugar is that the narrator, as you go along, the way that they explain things, first of all, it's not just a direct translation. And there are things that aren't translated at all, if it's not really relevant to like a strong point in the story. But as you go along, the translations happen fewer and fewer. So it's almost as if, I don't know if it's deliberate, but it's almost as if the narrator is teaching you without saying it. So as you go along, there's like, as you go further into the book, there are almost no direct translations of, oh, this is what it means when that happens, or this is what that word or that phrase or whatever it is means. And I think that's an interesting approach in doing it because I do think, I do think even as readers, even as Caribbean readers can be lazy. I think anyone who's reading a different culture that's not white can be very lazy because I do think a lot of European, Anglo-European and North American Canadian cultures are seen as the default so you you and that's really of no fault of our own so you see it on tv it's just this over proliferation of american ideas and values and culture to the point where let it snow is a normal thing that plays on the radio in the caribbean yeah so i i do think for me i i like the approach a lot more writers have been having where they don't want their words in italics or they're not trying to over explain what this means. And I'm glad to see less books with glossaries, especially the in internet. the age of the internet or, yeah. I mean, this is something that evolved over time because when I was younger, I would hate to read books without glossaries because... I didn't have easy access to, or I didn't have as easy an access to the internet to look up these things. But no, it's just like, hmm. so maybe there is some level of privilege in yeah. saying, go Google it. Uh, I remember one of the, 
issues that I had with reading Patsy was that I f- um, Patsy by Nicole Dennis Ben is that I felt um, I felt that there are a lot of times that um, certain things were being over explained and I at a point I asked myself if it was because I as a Jamaican person would understand this situation or um, would get the meaning behind um, someone saying this or someone doing X thing. Uh, But then I guess for me, what that did was I didn't enjoy it as much as I could because it almost felt like I was reading um, uh, an instruction type of thing as opposed to a story. And that took, it really took a lot away from me fully enjoying the book because it felt like somebody was telling me (laughs) um telling me about the story or telling me what the story is about as opposed to telling me the story or me reading the story um and it might be selfish on my part as a Jamaican reader to expect um to not ex or well to not want or desire this sort of over explanation and over description of a particular thing because I know it. I don't know if that's selfish or if it's valid or um, a valid critique. Um, I think it's valid. Um, I haven't read Patsy yet, but wait, what? Uh, I that was one. Yeah, I haven't. but that was one of my one of the things that I noticed when I read Here Comes the Sun Um, and I I think it might just be how Nicole writes as an author she's extremely descriptive I've read her short stories and she's the same way Um, I think she go go Oh no, I sorry, I really didn't want to cut to you, cut your thought, but I was I just wanted to say that um I didn't when I say descriptive, I don't mean um creating um the scenario. I don't mean like um imagery and stuff like that. Um just think of um you as a Jamaican explaining to a Trini what uh, I don't I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna know. Um think of the most Jamaican thing and trying to explain that to somebody who's non-Jamaican. Huh? It's like explaining to someone what belly bottom is. Right. Like I don't right. need to like you say belly bottom and I know what you mean, but then mm-hmm. explaining to someone who is just like those are two different body parts. What are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. So while reading Patsy, that's what I felt. I felt like she was explaining to me what belly button meant um, <laughs> in several of the chapters. And again, I wondered if that's selfish on my part as a Jamaican reader to not want this. Because it almost felt like she was overextending herself to ensure that her meaning is clear. And... Uh, I I just didn't enjoy that. I, I think that's a valid criticism, generally, not just of Patsy. I, I think I see it a lot in just books, and it's I get it to some extent because when I read books like Freshwater, I had to almost every chapter I was researching something. And I don't know if everyone wants to do that when they're reading. And I don't know if everyone can do that. And to I guess to what extent do you meet readers where they are and who are your readers? Because let's be honest, a lot of these books that are published by Jamaicans take forever to reach our bookshelves. Um, August Stone, I, I think I still have tweets from months after August Stone came out messaging bookstores like, where can I find this? It's winning awards all over the place mm-hmm. and I can't find it. In Nearby Bushes still hasn't been on any Jamaican bookstore shelves, yet In Nearby Bushes is describing one particular house 
in Mona. <laughs> like you would have to live in Jamaica to know that one bigger bigger house you know? that it's referring to. They removed the, so remove the cages, the bird cage house. Yeah. But that's the thing, you know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and that to me is and I, I keep whenever this happens and it's something I've noticed, I keep thinking about this. Ooh, this sounds fancy, I'm about to say it. I was on this panel with Kai and he said that he always tells his students to write as if they're talking to their next door neighbor, like you're telling your story to your next door neighbor, just you mm. and them, nobody else, just write as if it's that one person that live right next door to you that you're just gossiping with. And I, like I, I wonder how much of, how much that propels or limits Jamaican writers, mm-hmm. especially the ones who want to be published by the big five, or you want your work to be out there. But how do you, how do you, I guess, meet readers where they are, but at the same time remain authentic? But then at the same time, it's who's your audience and who do you want your audience to be? And sometimes I just have to accept that. Not every Jamaican writer wants to write for a Jamaican audience. Thinking of somebody in particular. I don't know what you're referring to. <laughs> As I'm thinking of somebody in particular. <laughs> <laughs> I am. But yeah, I, I I get that though. Um it's and I don't I guess we'll never have a clear cut answer to that. Um because inevitably um somebody or some people will be left by the wayside when we attempt to answer these questions. Um, and a part of me wonders, um, as a not just Caribbean, but because we're Caribbean, um, as Caribbean writers, when we're writing Caribbean stories, um, what do we want people to get from these stories? And if we want them to get a quote-unquote true sense of or true depiction of life in the Caribbean, um, why compromise um, Compromise how you tell the story? Uh, that might be an unfair question to pose to writers. Um, again, because you mentioned... Um, at the end of the day, writers want to be published. They want their work to um, get as far into the world as is possible. And that's absolutely fair of them to want their work to be successful. But I still wonder um, how much compromising do you need to do to ensure that? And that reminds me of Amma from Girl, Woman, Other. Um, how much do you have to do when you when you want to get to that level of success, your your authenticity um, is in, is now interrogated. Then you start to question your own self and um, question your own um, path to success. What do I have to give up, or what do I have to limit in order to attain the level of success that I'm trying to get? You know, not necessarily trying to get, but like, but in Amos' case. It's like she's been doing this thing for years and not getting, and then somebody decided that yo actually what she's talking about makes a lot of sense and it's trendy right now, so she she deserves to be uplifted on this platform. You know what I mean? Like uh, she got the go ahead from the gatekeepers, and then she accepted it, but then the compromises came after accepting it, I suppose. Well, like, that was my interpretation of um, Amma's story. Especially, I mean, the input from her bad mind friend, the guy, who was just like, oh, you sell out. Yeah. But, like, and I remember distinctly about her, Amma saying that, you know, they were, she's been in the trenches for all these years. So it's like, if you know that you've been putting in the work and then you finally get rewarded by like the, the people who you're, create, who you're critiquing yeah is that a bad thing how how much of a compromise is that we'll never know 
It's something I'm curious about. And it's something I guess I'd want to speak to people, not just writers, but people who edit and people who publish and publicists for these writers. Like what advice do they give them when it comes to marketing, when it comes to just talking or just advertising? Because I have... I have been a victim of being misled by book publicists on numerous occasions about what to Whoa. expect. Because <laughs> sometimes, because I feel, no, I honestly sometimes feel hurt because I'll be like, this is not, and sometimes it's a really good book, but they market it in such a way where it's, it's, misleading because they want a particular audience or they know mm. that this sounds like a nice catchy thing to say or or when you say these words you know that people will gravitate to it and talk yeah to it, and it. then sometimes it's nothing at all like mm-hmm. you can think of akata witch which got marketed so heavily as the west african harry potter harry I, potter yeah and when i read the book i'm just like why would you ever insult Akata Witch this way? It's so much Ooh. better than Harry Potter. To There's so much the Harry more. Potter stands. I don't care. <laughs> I know. Like Harry Potter was great for its time, but I am cutting out all of what yeah, I've said and I'm leaving Christina in here no. to be attacked oh, wow. by the Potterheads. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel. I don't care. None of them can beat me. So oh, bad me. I'll put it in the Patreon. Yeah, yeah. We have two people that's, that that do the Patreon. Oh thing. yes, let me go subscribe. Oh wait, um, no. Tomorrow's payday, so I have to pay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's nice. so nice. I'm thinking. Nice. I, I'm I'm which, doing. Which tier? Pardon? Which tier? The five and the ten dollar one. Hey. Yeah. I'm gonna get the. Hundred dollar. Yeah, I'm a, you. Balling. Yeah, I'm a baller. Rich. I got money. Real rich. You can sponsor an episode as well. Mister, <laughs> <laughs> read it. No, Mister, read it. Oh Balling yeah, bad. the plug. Bad to bad, <laughs> which I keep forgetting about. Jesus. So, how do you feel about Jamaican authors that write adjacent? to Jamaica. I'm thinking about The Sun is Also a Star, which the mm, only uh, thing in it, there are, there are a few moments in it. They're being deported <laughs> back And then Jamaica. the parents, they had that little scene where they met in Jamaica. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. How did they meet again? Um, at a bar. I think she was working at a bar. If memory serves me correctly, the mom. Well, I've never heard her talk, Nicola Yoon. I've never heard her talk about her Jamaican heritage. I actually haven't read everything, everything. But from what I understand, there's no references. I read it. It's not Jamaican. There's no references to Jamaica in it. Um, nope. I, I'm just curious about, I don't know. I think at first I did kind of feel away about it. And then after a while, I was just like, Jerry. Mm-hmm. No one is obligated to represent the country. As in, I think a lot of it is just based on how I was raised in Jamaica. Yeah, once you're Jamaican, you have to be like the ambassador all the time. You You always have to be ripping the flag. You have to be the loudest and the proudest. And it's like, no, we don't, though. Yeah. So uh, for me, when I was reading that and thinking about... The Sunday's also a star, which I really enjoyed. It's a very cute book. I think I might read it over because I might need something to She does not reference Jamaica at all. And then I was thinking maybe she was maybe she was born here, you know, and then moved and she was really, No, she completed high school and everything here. And I was just like, okay, maybe maybe it's a personal thing. Maybe it's something. Yeah, a lot of people there are people who just don't feel connected. I have a friend who she born and grew here she's from Trelawney and she just doesn't like Jamaica she just there's nothing about Jamaica that she really likes she wants to move abroad she wants to live abroad she it, Jamaica feels really limiting and really small to her 
and it's like okay well it's like sometimes when I talk to her and she shares her experiences it makes me feel some type of way but at the same time there's who am I to invalidate her feelings and her experience so I just listen to her and I say yo if that's there are people who their goal is to just migrate their goal is to get a visa and to just like leave and uh, I don't know if that's a byproduct of uh, colonialism or like just these these uh, oppressive but extremely intangible systems that govern how we think but uh, it's uh, like you just have to accept that that's what some people's aspirations are and like they're they're valid i i'm gonna be honest i feel some kind of way but i know that (laughs) i do um but at the same time i think that as a writer you're allowed to write about anything that you want to write about but no 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 i feel some kind of way like um i'm think i'm trying to think about writing from an experience that you've never had um and how you go about writing that um it's a touchy enough topic because for the most part a lot of the characters that people write about aren't necessarily um experiences that they've had themselves so i shouldn't feel a way about jamaican writers not writing about jamaica or not writing from a jamaican perspective but from an irrational side, me feel away. But yeah, when I think about Nicola Yoon and other Jamaican writers, whether it's in theater or novels or poems, and they don't write the, I guess, the expected Jamaican story, I don't know if that makes it any less Jamaican, even if they're not referencing very direct Jamaican things because at the same time it's still a Jamaican writing and it kind of feels like a weird and interesting space to think about so if it's a Jamaican writing um, historical fiction from China that they researched does that make the book any less of a Jamaican perspective? I don't know. It's actually something that I've never thought about even as an extreme I've never allowed myself to think about um a Jamaican writing a non-Jamaican story or a story that has nothing to do with Jamaicans or Jamaica um I don't think I've allowed my mind to go there and when I say allow um I don't mean to stop myself from thinking but it just never came to mind it's never something that I thought about and I guess it's because all the Jamaican writers that I've read from um, majority of their stories have either taken place in Jamaica or is about a Jamaican in another part of the world so I don't know I mean again writers are allowed to write about whatever it is that they want to write about um i've always wondered about writing from a perspective that isn't necessarily yours um i don't dislike it um i don't think that it's a bad thing it's just it always feels like um a touchy enough thing for me to ponder on i guess i was thinking about if a jamaican artist or in other art forms if a jamaican visual artist paints snow does that make the artwork less jamaican because it's not depicting what we see in jamaica so is it more of the artist or the or the work (laughs) maybe i'll um um well i'm thinking about the reverse of when non-Jamaicans perform Jamaican culture so coming out of the books and I just immediately thought about Magic and the band Magic and their song their hit song Rude and how everybody was just saying that um yeah this is a reggae band so I'm like people should be allowed to produce whatever sort of art that they want to create and produce but I think enough uh, 
what needs to go into it is a lot of research and also like you have to see an, a general appreciation reflecting from the work that is the, the final product and I mean we were talking earlier in the podcast about Caribbean literature not being monolithic so why are we going to limit um, Jamaican literature or Caribbean literature in general to oh if this person is from the Caribbean or is from Jamaica and talks about snow is that Jamaican or Caribbean I don't know I think I think I guess it's all contextual I think when it feels inauthentic and it feels like it's trying to perform and be something else and to appease a certain type of audience then but I think those things come after interacting with the art and not necessarily saying that okay well this art exists and it shouldn't if you know what I mean where it gets questionable, I think, for a lot of people is when you attempt to replicate uh, traumatic experiences. And when I say traumatic, I mean, for example, that so that um, book by that lady, I don't remember her name. And it's kind of, I don't remember, but that book, American Dirt, yeah. right, that got that was extremely controversial because this white woman I think she had claimed to she claims to be Hispanic I don't remember if that claim turned out to be true her husband is Hispanic she's been her husband oh oh. um but yes I'm thinking of some like that so when she begins to write about or attempts to write about the immigrant experience and what that's like um I think that's usually where um, we begin to feel as if you are taking on something that isn't yours or well rather where it feels like you should not be representing this um, it isn't your place to represent it to represent that so in terms of anything that has to do with systemic oppression and years of so even the example that you brought up with the reggae band um we know that as Jamaicans, reggae isn't just reggae for us. There's a whole um, there's a form of resistance, it. right? It, there's a whole history of resistance behind it. There's a whole um, history of reggae being a tool of social commentary um, for disenfranchised Jamaicans. So when a white person uses that tool and uses that avenue to not represent what is historically accepted with that genre, then it becomes a problem. So I think that's usually where, for the most part, we feel some type of way about it. And I say we as the general we, but also me, I think that's where it becomes dicey for me. So like with the snow, even though it's an example, um, that feels fine because snow and I mean nothing. <laughs> um, <laughs> I keep thinking you know, about that so. poetry book we read. I think it was, I don't remember, it was like the first year. It was by a local poet and it referenced autumn leaves. And a lot of oh, the books same time. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I saw the autumn leaves and I was like, all right, I'm done. Like, <laughs> no autumn leaves now in the Hanover. What are you talking about? <laughs> but maybe I need to be more open as a reader open-minded but mm-hmm. at the same time i i'm very aware of i guess you're right it's about the systems that we operate in and what does that mean for writing because yeah you, you should be able to practice your artistic license to write about things mm-hmm. you haven't experienced but i'm also not obliged to read it so Truly, <laughs> not at all. Um, I just remembered a quote from, well, not a quote, but like an interview from Chimamanda about why she felt it necessary to write African literature because when she was re- growing up, the only books she read were that spoke about daffodils and people with blue eyes and things like that. So. I mean, we all know and can get behind that representation is essential and seeing people who look like you and seem like 
names that of places that you associate on your commute, for example. Like that is really that that's refreshing and it feels encouraging to see that on paper. But yeah, at the same time, um, yes, I I think there is this something about not necessarily policing the artistic license or the artistic freedom of a, an author to create work that is beyond or or borders. And um, I just I was thinking about your point about um Nicola Yoon and the authors like her that are not necessarily attached to or aligned to Jamaica in a way and kind of like um casually reference them in their in their work and I feel like that would I don't know if her work would fall under like marginally diasporic um but also just like stuck in this liminal space of not necessarily being Caribbean, but not fully being wherever she has settled, or maybe I could be wrong about that, but I just kind of thought about not, yeah, it, it would be, it would be inauthentic for us to class them as a Jamaican author and a Jamaican book, but what, what is it? But then that just, that kind of reminds me of, I don't know, I feel like I'm going to be going all over the place. Because it reminds me of people who are like mixed race and you know that question, what are you? And people, that's, an unver- that's a very offensive question to ask people because, I mean, just because I look a certain way, like it just, I think that people, if people, humans are curious and they have the right to ask the questions, but there's a way to do it. And I know that this is very tangential and I apologize, but I'm just like connecting like <laughs> different dots and I'm like this all like overlaps in different aspects of life. Books, music, people. <laughs> Another thing too, when you mentioned Chimamanda and her sort of writing herself into the literary world so that she can see herself. I think that's one of the things that I appreciate about Caribbean writers and Jamaican writers. And like Let me use Caribbean writers because even um, reading books from other Caribbean countries, I still feel related to it. So I love it because we don't get to see a lot of ourselves reflected in um, a lot of the books that we read. And sometimes even the the media that we consume in general, Um, when you live in the Caribbean and you have cable, a lot of... uh, what you see is an American American culture. And Jorin mentioned it before. We see American beliefs, um, American culture, sometimes British culture, sometimes British beliefs, and we don't necessarily see ourselves. So it's always an exciting thing to see Jamaican and Caribbean writers writing from and about the Caribbean and Jamaican um, experience because you see yourself and you if you don't see yourself you see people you know and people you would have experienced and situations you would have seen or experienced yourself and again we don't see a lot of that um and especially if you if you're i guess new to the book world um a lot of the times you 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 get drawn into it because of relatability and being able to relate to 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 characters and stories so it's 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 a fine line it's a fine line exercise your writing and artistic abilities but for me as a reader it's just always great to see um the multiplicity of our experiences being represented out there amongst the sea of whites I mean, fair point. I spoke about this in another podcast episode, or maybe it was an actual um, uh, book club meeting, but like seeing them reference Matilda's Con on Police Station. Like, I got hype when I read that because I'm like, yo, I mean, I know exactly where that is. I know exactly what that looks like. So, yeah, I, I get the representation and I understand how, like, 
extremely impactful it is psychologically <laughs> to see you yourself be validated on on pages i understand that yeah it really does something to you it really does um again especially if you grow up even if you if you grow up reading and most of the things that we read weren't necessarily from caribbean writers or um jamaican writers grow up reading books by americans and usually books by white americans and so it's like yes finally writers that are writing for us and about us yes and then when you have queer jamaican writers writing about queer jamaicans it's like thank you <laughs> yeah so i think we can wrap this up there we are. yeah let's yeah we can Thank you so much for listening and I hope that you found books that you haven't read yet somewhere in this discussion and it's piqued your interest or if you have read them it was just great to hear the three of us talk about it. We're probably going to delete a lot of this episode because there's a lot of shade thrown at the Potterheads and Harry Potter fans and yeah if you want to hear that bit you can go and subscribe to our patreon it's patreon.com slash rebelwomenlit where we have deleted podcasts um also we have things like you can join our secret santa list or international travel book club so there's there's a lot of stuff that we do in book club and you'll be able to access it quite easily through our new patreon and every bit that you contribute counts so yeah we'll check that out and i am going to leave christina to take the hit from the harry potter fans we apologize nah. we apologize in advance people who love nah. harry potter christina dragged you for film cut that out <laughs>